What is enlightenment? I don't even know how to begin answering this question. It's just such a big question. Anytime I tell a friend or an acquaintance or somebody about how one of my, I don't really want to say about how one of my main goals, but how I guess one of my main focuses or intentions in life is enlightenment. If they don't already know what that is, or at least have an idea of what that is, and they ask me, well, what is that? What are you trying to accomplish here? I don't really know how to answer the question because I feel like even just understanding what enlightenment is or what it could be or what it might look like, even just having that understanding is a huge component of the enlightenment process. At least that's what I have recently discovered to be true for myself. I feel like I've had a lot of epiphanies in these last couple years, and I want to document them. And honestly, I don't even know if I'm going to post this or if this is just going to be something I keep for me. I really don't know. Um, But I do a lot of self-inquiry by journaling, and I do love journaling, but I think it has some limitations. You can't go very fast, so you can only work out a small chunk of something at a time, which is really great for like diving into a topic really deeply and really thinking about that one topic for the hour or however long I'm journaling for. But sometimes it's nice to like take a step back and look at a bunch of topics and kind of tie them all together and just make sense of everything. So it's good to go like deep on things and really understand them and experience them. But it's also nice to take a step back and just like see how all these components that I have gone deep on or that I will go deep on kind of fit together. And that's really what I want to accomplish here. If anything, these little, well, they're not going to be little because I ramble a lot, but these audio files They are going to be me making sense of the things that I'm learning, the things that I'm thinking about, the things that I'm realizing. But this is not an educational podcast. Uh, I don't feel like I have the right to be an educator in the realm of spirituality and in the realm of metaphysics and in the realm of reality and in the realm of psychology and philosophy and all that stuff, I just don't feel like I have A, the interest, and B, what it takes, and C, the credentials, if you will, to actually educate people, because I'm still very much in this process myself. And really, this is a very raw expression of having gone through the process and having like and, and continuing to go through the process. That's really what these 
these little, again, they're not going to be little, but these uh, little episodes, or these episodes, I should say, will, will be on. They're going to be on my raw thoughts, feelings, my experiences, how I am making sense of things. It's my journey, and I'm documenting it. And, like, I really don't know if I want to put it out there or if I want to just keep it for myself. I don't really know. So I guess if you're listening to this, I've decided to put it out there. It would be really nice to put this out there and have people comment and then, like, I can have interactions and conversations with people that are going through similar things or want to go through similar things, people that are interested in enlightenment, because I don't meet a lot of people in real life who are into enlightenment, and I think that that's actually totally okay. Um, I really don't think that people have to pursue enlightenment. Sometimes with, like, spiritual teachers and enlightenment teachers and, like, people in the personal development realm, there'll be almost this snobbery of like, you should be doing this. You should be meditating. You should be practicing yoga. You should be journaling. You should be doing self-inquiry. You should be below. And it's like, actually, people should be doing whatever they feel is right for them. My mom, like, I'm not saying she's a shallow person, but she will never want to pursue enlightenment the way I will. She will never, she will, like, unless she goes through some kind of radical transformation, she would never get the amount of fulfillment and contentment I get in this journey. Um, Again, maybe if she changed radically, she would. If she became more enlightened, she might be. But, like, in who she is, like, where she's at, she is very happy going through her life as, well, a satisfied fool. And when I say satisfied fool, I'm not saying that with any kind of judgment or criticism. There was a time when I was a fool myself. But the thing was, is I was not a satisfied fool. I was a dissatisfied fool. I think since I was a really little kid, I've always known that I would never be content with just sort of like the mundane life. Like, you know, wake up, go to work, come home to your partner and your kids and maybe do a hobby or watch TV or something for a few hours, go to bed, repeat. I was never going to be satisfied that with that. I... I've always been looking to kind of understand things on a very meta level. So like, you know, that's a lovely routine. You work, maybe you do meaningful work, maybe you don't do meaningful work, but either way you work, you get a paycheck, you enjoy your off time, you've got people that you love, like that can be a very, very fulfilling life. You can be a satisfied fool in that life, in that little life, and that's That's totally okay. Uh, You can also make that life, that little life, actually a very big life. You can do things like start successful businesses and make lots of money and buy a nice house and have a car and a boat and all that. You can go travel. You can be very, very, very successful and be 
a satisfied fool, be someone who's not enlightened. Um, Oftentimes, people who do reach crazy levels of success, it seems like then they kind of start going into enlightenment because, you know, I, I, I think that enlightenment is in a sense inherently more fulfilling because really like one of the, I don't want to say one of the functions of enlightenment, maybe one of the side effects. I don't really know how to say it, but something that kind of comes with enlightenment is this like satisfaction in nothing. So like I can actually, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like quite there yet. Like I'm still working on these Jedi powers, but I'm more interested in figuring out how to hack my mind so that I can experience all the satisfaction and the love and the joy and the fulfillment and the excitement that I would get from becoming a millionaire and buying a fancy house and buying a boat. I'm more excited in not getting the fancy house and the fancy boat, but just figuring out how to feel that when I'm standing here talking into an iPhone in my shitty overpriced apartment in like the worst part of the city I live in. Like that's one aspect of enlightenment, but there's also other parts of enlightenment as well. And like, I think that if you try to pursue enlightenment so that you can just be happy all the time and not experience any pain or discomfort, man, you are foolishly mistaken. mistaken. Because like, this is actually one of the most painful roads. Like this is the true hero's journey. And I don't think that it's for everybody. I don't think it's for the faint of heart. I think there are some people who are just going to be happier and more fulfilled with their life if they go about it, I guess, the normie way where, you know, they try to get that good job or that good business, they get that good money and they get that good partner and they have those kids and they raise those kids the way they're proud. You know what I mean? Most people, those are their goals and that's great. And that's awesome. And I wish in a way that those could be my goals. But unfortunately, I've just always been a little bit different. So where does my enlightenment journey begin? Well, I've always been looking for the answers to the universe. Ever since I was a child, like, so in a sense, I feel like it's kind of an innate part of me. Now, I am critical of that notion, but I do have some evidence to show that, like, no matter what, no matter what level of success or lack of success I had in my life, I was always going to be kind of, like, just unfulfilled with sort of, like, mundane, normie life. Because when I was, like, three, four years old, I was asking my mom, what's the meaning of life? What happens when you die? Why is there something rather than nothing? Like I was asking her those questions. What is infinity? How can the universe go on and on forever? I was asking her those questions and I was expecting her to have answers. I was expecting her to be able to go into a book and pull out the answer. My mom is a teacher and she started teaching me things like math and reading 
and like other things like that before I went into school because she wanted me to be prepared. And so I always viewed my mom as a kid when I was a kid and still to this day, but as a kid, like I viewed my mom as being almost like this all knowing being because she was a teacher. She was smart. She was always teaching me things. So like, certainly she should have the answers to the questions that really matter. Like if she knows that two plus two is four and she knows how to spell the word umbrella and she knows this and she knows that, then surely she also has a book that can tell me what infinity is and how that works and how that's even possible. Surely she has that book as well. This is what three, four-year-old me thought. Now, of course, when I asked her these questions, my mom who's not a very philosophical person. She's not a fan of going meta. She's more sensory. She's more grounded in like the mundane world. She was kind of overwhelmed by these questions I was asking her because it's like, why is my four-year-old asking me what the meaning of life is? I don't know what to freaking tell her. Like looking back, I can see that it overwhelmed her and it really disappointed me that she did not have the answers. So I always had this kind of like adventurous spirit. I always kind of wanted to know what enlightenment or what, sorry, what the answers to the universe was. I always kind of wanted to seek enlightenment. Of course, I didn't have the language or the knowledge or the understanding that that's what it was. But looking back, I can see that the seed was always there. I don't think I was ever going to be truly satisfied with... A mundane life as a satisfied fool. But that doesn't mean I haven't struggled with those things. That does not mean that I am above those things. Trust me, I, I really did struggle with my ego. I really did, and I still do. And I think that I will always struggle with my ego to some extent. Because um, <laughs> that's like... I mean, maybe I won't. Maybe that's just a limiting belief. But I think that having an ego and knowing how, like navigating how to balance that, that's just part of being human. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you can totally transcend the ego. I guess that's a topic for another day and I'm I'm getting off topic already. I'm going to do that a lot. But basically... My journey with enlightenment, I mean, I feel like I was always destined to go on this journey, which I don't actually think I was destined to. Like, I don't really believe in destiny or fate. I believe in free will. But I do believe that we have sort of innate, intuitive hunches and desires, and enlightenment was always one of mine. Um... But I also had some life experiences that pushed me in this direction, and that's what I'm going to get into here. Because I feel like, I feel like up until um, maybe this last year or two, really this last year is when I've really, I've really understood. I feel what enlightenment is, but it's still hard to put it into words. And I guess that's what I'm challenging myself to do here in this recording. So yeah, disclaimer, I don't think that enlightenment needs to be everybody's goal. And in fact, I don't think that it really 
would benefit a lot of people for it to be their goal. That said, like you can take little aspects of enlightenment work and they might benefit people. Like, you know, the whole mindfulness thing that's going around right now, like people, they are finding their stress, their depression, their anxiety is better managed with some mindfulness practices, which mindfulness is like, okay, if like enlightenment was an iceberg, mindfulness would be like the very teeny tiny top at the surface, right? Like that's not really enlightenment work, but like it's a part of enlightenment work. It's one teeny tiny little facet of it. So I think that people can benefit from some enlightenment work practices and some people are going to benefit from more of it than others. Maybe uh, I'm being a bit delusional. Maybe we all would benefit from like a full enlightenment. But the reality is, is, you know, that's just not going to happen. Like as a society, we are, we're not equipped to enlighten people. We don't encourage people to seek enlightenment. So, you know, when I was a kid and I had these big questions about the universe, I like really, um, like it didn't take long for me to feel a lot of shame for having these because culturally speaking, we don't really value philosophy. Philosophy is kind of a dirty word. I mean, would you rather say you were a philosophy major or a biology major? And like, I think, you know, that's maybe human nature because we always want to preserve the ego. But I also think that a big part of that, a big part of that is culture because we are living in a very materialist, science-oriented culture where it's like all about results and it's all about seeing things actualize in the material world. You know, if you talk about philosophy or spirituality or anything kind of metaphysical or woo-woo or out there, people kind of write you off as like a hippie or a flake or a stoner or like they just think you're crazy. Like, (laughs) and I definitely understand where they're coming from because that's how I used to think because I was basically indoctrinated into this culture and indoctrinated into science and into logic and I I kind of lost this side of myself that was curious about the universe and about life and about humans and about myself and I lost the side of myself that was very naturally connected with with nature and with um, with spirituality and my intuition. And by the time I was 14, 15, I was a staunch atheist and I loved logic and I loved science and I loved debating and I loved facts and I loved laughing at people and disproving people and debating with people who I felt were very emotional and who I felt were very religious and who I felt were very just not grounded in logic and facts like I was. And 
thinking about this now, it's laughable to me because, I mean, <laughs> just this version of myself that I felt was so authentic, really, I mean, it was authentic for the time, but it was not actually authentic to who I am at my core. So between the ages of like 14 to like 21, um, I was really obsessed with atheism, logic, debating. Um, I still liked philosophy on a very intellectual level, so a very shallow level. Um, but, you know, like I, I would never like entertain the idea of like getting a philosophy degree or if I were to entertain that idea, I would like laugh at it and like, like oh, but you can't do anything with that. <laughs> like, because I just felt this shame for any side of me that was still spiritual or philosophical. Like I, like most people in this culture in the West here, um, valued results materialism, tangible things. I was more concerned with like, you know, things like money and status and success and fame than I was with truth and enlightenment and spirituality and metaphysics and those kinds of things that are less tangible. And uh, something else that, you know, so at this time I, I was very like detached from my emotions and very, I tried to be very hyper logical all the time and this just really became my way of being. Um, but I then, um, I did have one really good outlet for my, my strong emotions because I did still have strong emotions at this time. I had a lot of mental health issues. Um, and the outlet that I would use for them was music. So I was uh, playing in lots of rock bands, writing lots of songs on the guitar, uh, the piano. Um, so I'm a singer and I'm a guitar player, piano player, ukulele, banjo, bass, drums. Like I've played, I've played basically any, any instrument you would see in a rock band. I've learned how to play it and... Um, Mainly what I did, though, was sing and play guitar. And I got really, really fixated on this idea of becoming a rock star. And that just, it felt like my life purpose, my life's destiny was to become a rock star. And so that's kind of where I channeled all my emotion into, into my songs. And my sense of spirituality and faith was put into that. And uh, I really just blindly believed that one day I could be a rock star. Um, and when I was a teenager, you know, my parents, they encouraged me to stay in school and everything, but they definitely bought into my dreams with me. And I developed this very, very inflated ego because, I mean, I say developed, it was really an undeveloped ego. <laughs> I had very, very, very low self-esteem. I had trauma. Um, I did not value myself at all. Um, I did not have any sense of um, like emotional regulation. Um, I have so 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 thing. These are like the mental disorders that. Uh, it's not everything I've been diagnosed with. I've been diagnosed with a lot, but in this time period. I, uh, I know I was struggling with um, borderline personality disorder, 
um, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, OCD. Uh, so just a, a lot of anxiety, um, an eating disorder. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, some other stuff as well. I, the actual diagnosis I got was bipolar. Um, but I have to believe that that was not actually accurate because, uh, bipolar is something they believe is genetic. And so you need to take medication constantly to keep it regulated. And I have not been on medication for bipolar disorder since I was 20 years old. And, I do not experience bouts of mania or, um, well, I experience bouts of depression, but really the, you know, bipolar, it's, it's mania and depression and it's manic depression. So mania, depression, and mixed mood states where you're experiencing both mania and depression at the same time. And, uh, people who are bipolar, they're impulsive when they're manic, uh, they go on spending sprees or they might go have like you know, they might engage in other reckless behaviors, stay up all night. If you interact with me in my mundane life, uh, like if you work with me or if you're one of my close friends or family members, you will know that that's just not me. Like I'm incredibly cautious. I'm very good with my money. Um, I not very impulsive at all. I'm very, very, if anything, I'm not impulsive enough. Like I'm too, uh, structured and too, um, I can't think of the word, but too stuck on my routine. (laughs) Um, and like just too fixated on my routine, if anything. Um, and like, I sleep fine when you're bipolar, you're supposed to be like up all night, like not like, not like able and willing to go to bed at like 11 PM. Um, and I'm able to go to work. Like I, I, I'm not bipolar because, <laughs> you know, if I was on medication and that was what was allowing me to be so stable, uh, then sure, I would be like, sure, I'm bipolar. But like the thing is, is I'm very, very stable. And if anything, I'm more stable than most people I interact with. Um, most people I interact with are more bipolar than me. Um, so I know I'm not bipolar. Or maybe I was bipolar and maybe, maybe the, the scientific world or the, the medical world's view on bipolar is really limiting because they always said bipolar was something you could never cure. You'd always have to take medication if you're bipolar. Maybe I did cure it. <laughs> maybe what I'm about to tell you about did cure it. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I don't really care because... For me, a diagnosis is really just a tool to help you better manage your problems, your symptoms, your, you know, the things that are like harming you and making your life difficult. That's what a diagnosis is there to help you with. So, you know, I was diagnosed bipolar. Uh, Am I bipolar? Either no, I'm not bipolar or yes, I was bipolar and I cured myself because I don't, I don't have the traits of bipolar. Now I do still experience depression. Um, I will definitely talk about depression in depth, uh, in like its own episode because depression is its own whole can of worms, but I don't experience that mania. So I'm not bipolar. 
Uh, I also don't believe I have chronic depression because I've experienced periods of time where my depression doesn't bother me at all. And like, I feel like for something to be chronic, it's like you're doing everything well, like every, you're getting all your needs met as a human being and you're still depressed. Like that's chronic depression. I believe I experience normal human depression, which is different. So like um, chronic depression would be like, I have friends that I see, I have people that support me, I drink water, I eat right, I exercise, like all my ducks like that are more or less in a row, but I'm still depressed. Whereas for me, when my ducks are more or less in a row, I'm not depressed. And if I'm depressed, it's like a normal human emotion trying to tell me something is wrong. Let's stop and reflect on it and course correct. And then once I do that process, I feel better. So like, I don't even have chronic depression. I have a lot of trauma uh, that I'm working on healing and that can, you know, make me experience depression when it's blocked because I I believe that depression is there to let me know there is a block and that something does need to change. Um, Now, those are just my opinions. Like, I'm not trying to say that if you have bipolar or you have depression as a diagnosis that you can't, like, uh, appreciate the fact that you have a diagnosis. I'm not trying to say that, like, you, like... Like, you don't have to view mental health and diagnoses the same way I do. That's just the way I view them. And I've had a lot of experience with them. Because in this time where I had this really fragile ego and it was hyper-logical, but I was also hyper-emotional, I just, I tried to, like, suppress my emotions with logic and then I would try to fuel all my emotions into my dreams of being a rock star. In this time... When my, when my ego was so fragile and so underdeveloped, I, um, that's when I was getting all this help from like psychiatrists and, uh, counselors. And, you know, that's when I was like thinking, oh, like I just have bipolar disorder. So I just need to go and take lithium and Seroquel and that will help me deal with it. No, that wasn't the case for me. (laughs) That wasn't the case for me at all. Uh, that was actually part of the problem. The uh, mental health issues, that became a part of this really fragile, undeveloped ego that I had. So I wanted to be this like tortured rock star soul, you know, like I have bipolar disorder um, and it's believed Kurt Cobain had bipolar disorder and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now going to become a really famous rock star like Kurt Cobain and maybe I'll even like kill myself too and it will be this tragic but like amazing story like that's what I wanted I just I had such a fragile ego um you know like that's what my life was all wrapped up in so it was it was a very toxic um it was a very toxic time and uh I honestly like it was very narcissistic and I'm not saying that I'm a narcissist or that I am antisocial or a psychopath or anything like that. Like I'm not saying I was evil, but evil was really consuming me. So I was kind of becoming evil as a result. And by the time I was 20 years old, 
well, really a little bit earlier, by the time I was like 18 years old, uh, I started to um, internalize the idea that now I was too old to become a rock star. And I had to go get a job. And like at the time I had dropped out of high school. So like I couldn't just go to college. I had to go and upgrade first. And so I was working my first real job and I was uh, finishing my high school like and, uh, you know, getting ready so I could go to college and I could study something. And of course, I wanted to study psychology so I could become a therapist so I could help people with their bipolar disorder. Um, yeah, so I just, I entered this new sort of phase towards the, the tail end of, um, my, uh, my really fragile ego stage where I, I was experiencing like a mild ego death in the sense that I, I was kind of realizing, but also in denial of the fact that I probably wasn't going to be a rock star. Um, and then I was also like, um, I was struggling with like a lot of like very early adulthood things like, uh, you know, um, a lot of my friends were moving out and I wanted to move out too, but I was struggling to keep a job because I was so depressed and anxious and my depression and my anxiety just seemed to get worse and worse. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really know what to do because the bipolar medication wasn't working. And um, I was also really struggling with uh, substance use. Now, I wasn't a drug addict or an alcoholic or anything, but I think I was on my way to becoming an alcoholic, to be honest with you. Um, because I had several like chunks of time in that, in that, in, in like, in like the three years between being like 18 and 20, where I was like, you know, there, there were periods where I wouldn't drink at all in, in those three years. And then there were periods where like, all I looked forward to is going out and socializing and drinking. And the alcohol became my way of coping with my social anxiety. Um, so it felt really, really good to be out socializing with these people because I wouldn't have had that confidence to do that before I had discovered the alcohol. So alcohol was very, very addictive. So I was, I was getting drunk all the time and like, it was sloppy. Like I was getting like blackout drunk and I was like vomiting on my friend's kitchen floor. And I was like, doing stupid things like flashing people and like having sex with people and like, like just acting really impulsively. So, you know, I kind of also blame that on the bipolar disorder. <laughs> um, but really it wasn't the bipolar disorder. It was, um, it was me looking for happiness outside of myself so, you know, I felt this sense of depression because my dreams of becoming a rock star were, were, they were, well, they were shattering and, uh, I was also in denial that they were shattering. So I was doing things like I was drinking way too much and getting way too drunk and I was smoking weed all the time and I was going on shopping sprees and I was, 
you know, having sex with people when I didn't even feel like having sex just because I wanted to feel something to avoid the pain of, well, my dream that I had put like everything into not working out. And my ego just became more and more fragile because at least when I was a teenager, at least my ego, yes, it was fragile, but it was built on something somewhat positive because it was built on like playing music and writing songs and like having a skill and a talent that you're working on. At least I had like an actual life purpose at that time. I'm not saying it was totally... uh, clean of toxicity there was a lot of negative motivation in it and there was a lot of toxicity in it and there was a lot of narcissism and evil in it but like overall it was a pretty positive thing um but when that was gone I tried to replace it with sex and I tried to replace it with relationships and I tried to replace it with food and an eating disorder and losing shit tons of weight and exercising way too much and drugs and alcohol and shopping sprees like I tried to replace that feeling of love that I got from playing in the rock band with other things that were even less um that were even less uh, sturdy and grounded in something positive than these dreams of becoming a rock star so really like I was developing this narcissism and it was a very like You know, like, I was not, I'm not saying I was some mastermind psychopath. Like, I'm not saying that. Like, I was a very, like, I was struggling. It was narcissistic, but it was really just very, very codependent. It was, like, a lot of struggle. I think back uh, to that person I was when I was 18, 19, 20, and I just, I feel a lot of compassion for her because, she was experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of um, grief, a lot of sadness, a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. And uh, God, like, I'm just really grateful that I had the experience that I'm about to tell you about that I'm excited to talk about. And then uh, that I, I'm, you know, found like the right teachers and the right books and the right movies and the right music and the right people and the right experiences all came to me and I could become who I am today and get on the path that I'm on because if I was not able to have those experiences and get on this path, like, and if I kept going down the path I was already on, I have no idea, um... I have no idea like where I would be like I might be that person that's at the bar on a Monday at 2 p.m. and is blackout drunk and try and hook up with some random old ugly guy and he doesn't even want me like that's who I might be like maybe not maybe I'm maybe I'm selling myself a little short but that's that's the kind of energy I had where it was just like I just wanted something to fill the void anything, a relationship, a drug, a new pair of shoes, just anything to fill the void. And uh, yeah, I guess the void was me losing my dreams of becoming a rock star because I realized that they were not realistic and that I was just not cut out for them. Um, So let's see here. So what sort of stopped all this? Well, in one of my attempts to numb the pain and fill the void, I um, 
I decided I was going to get into a relationship. So I, I, and like, you know, it wasn't this conscious, like it wasn't this, it wasn't like I thought about it like this, but looking back, I can see that this was my intention. This is what I was doing. I basically just picked the shittiest, most controlling, most narcissistic, most like survival mode, just trying to fill that void himself guy I could find. And I basically just asked him to be my boyfriend. I mean, it was a little more nuanced than that, but I basically just went, hmm, who's going to be completely controlling and smothering of me so much so that I have no room left for myself and like, I don't even have to like be like, I don't even have to like be a person like, because this person's just going to make all these decisions for me and do all these things. Like this person was so overbearing. Like we started going out and they wanted me at their house like every day, every night sleepover. So like we lived about, I think three buses away from each other because um, I was living with my parents at the time and they live in kind of more of like a rural suburb area and I, I'm a bus taker. I am about to get my L, but <laughs> get my L at 28 years old, but um, I am a bus taker and obviously I was at the time. So if I wanted to go and visit my boyfriend, I would have to take three buses to do so. Um, and, uh, still this person wanted me to be at their place every afternoon when they were off work. And because I wasn't yet living with them, what that meant is I would go to their place when they were done work. We'd hang out for the evening, probably like get baked and have sex and then eat something. And then he'd fall asleep basically because he was a construction worker and he was super tired and that's totally valid. But like also my existence was really dull at this point in my life because all I was doing was getting baked, eating something and having sex and falling asleep with this construction worker. And then in the morning I would take the three buses home when he would go to work and I would hang out at my parents' house for like six hours until he was done work. And then I would take the three buses back to his house and repeat And when I would try to suggest like, oh, can like I see you a little bit less when I would have that like higher self come in and try to like assert some boundaries (laughs) and try to talk some sense into this relationship, uh, he would just kind of smother me further and be like, I really want you here. Like you can go home if you want to, but I really want you here with me like all the time. And then, you know, that lower like codependent self would be like, I love feeling wanted and I love not having to be alone with my thoughts. So yay. And oh my God, this relationship, like I was already really losing my sense of self, but this relationship just like ate up what was left of me. And I just became like, just like this person's puppet, this person's robot that they could I mean, it's still my responsibility. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shirking my responsibility, but it's still, it's still my responsibility, but that's what I wanted. I like on a subconscious level, I wanted to find a relationship that would just eat me alive and I could just go into the relationship and they would just control me. And this person was extremely controlling 
and they just wanted someone to be like attached to their hip all the time to prop them up and make them feel good because you know they were uh, a narcissist a codependent they were an addict you know they had a bunch of issues too they had a bunch of trauma too so we were the perfect bad combo <laughs> Um, so really like the big experience that I keep talking about, it happened in the context of this relationship. So I, uh, I remember being at his house and we were cuddling after we had had dinner one night and he said to me, me and -and so-and-so, I'm not going to say their name because I'm about to talk about illegal substances, but he would say me and -and so-and-so We're thinking about having a shroom trip this Friday. Would you want to be a part of it? And I was like, I I didn't want to be a part of it. Um, I I was afraid of shrooms. I had never done shrooms. I was terrified. Um, I didn't want to be a part of it. But... And, like, I also knew, too, like, with my bipolar disorder that I really wasn't supposed to be trying things like shrooms. Like, because if you are actually bipolar, those can be extremely damaging for your mental health. They can make you go psychotic. Um, So I, I knew that that was, like, bad, like, no, no territory. Smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, that was probably bad enough but like shrooms it felt like this big evil word (laughs) it's so funny to say that now just because I think so differently about psychedelics now um but yeah like I remember being horrified but then also not wanting to be left out and he kind of was pressuring well he was pressuring me to take them um, he claimed he wasn't, but that was gaslighting. He was pressuring me to take them. He did want me to take shrooms with him. Because he really... It's so funny when I think about this. Because I think he would actually be more into me now. Um, just because he really wanted like a hippie girlfriend. And uh, he so often tried to make me a hippie. Uh, and I wasn't a hippie at all at the time, right? Because I was like this atheist, hyper-logical... Uh, I would have laughed at you if you were into astrology. I was that kind of person, right? And now uh, <laughs> I, I'm a pagan. Uh, I, I'm pursuing enlightenment. Uh, I love astrology. I have crystals. Uh, there's tarot cards like three meters away from me. Um, so, it, you know, there's a rose quartz on the table that I'm sitting at. So, like... Uh, really different person now it's just so funny to me because he'd probably be so much more into me now and it's just funny to me that I changed like after the relationship (laughs) but um he uh he really wanted me to be this like chilled out hippie chick and so I and me being codependent I wanted to try to be that for him even though I felt resentful that he wanted me to be that it's all very confusing but my higher self felt resentful that he wanted to change me, but my lower self loved having someone make these decisions for me and decide who I was. So I ended up taking shrooms hesitantly, begrudgingly, just not wanting to, but still taking shrooms nonetheless. Um, 
This is how the shroom trip went. So me and my boyfriend, we were constantly having fights and issues because obviously this was not a healthy relationship. And we were taking shrooms with two other people. I will not name names, but it was a guy and a girl that he was friends with. And um, I was I didn't want to take the shrooms, for one thing, uh, just generally because I was anxious. And I also know that I'm... Like, I, I'm not bipolar, but in, in this uh, moment in time, I know I'm bipolar. So I know mushrooms are not going to be, quote-unquote, good for my, quote-unquote, bipolar. Um, so I'm nervous about that. I'm worried I'm going to have a bad trip. And then also, I worked all day uh, at Tim Hortons. And it was my first day working at Tim Hortons. I mean, it was my third time working at Tim Hortons and not the last time unfortunately uh, but it was my first day back and I had to work the next day at seven in the morning and I still took the shrooms and I didn't trust the the guy and the girl we were tripping with and I didn't really trust my boyfriend even though I told myself I did and after we ate the mushrooms um he uh <laughs> We got into a fight. I can't remember over what, but we got into a fight. And, uh, yeah. Now, we resolved the fight before the mushrooms came on, thank God. But if you just put all this data together, you can understand that this was not a good set or setting for a mushroom trip. (laughs) This was not the time to be taking psychedelics with people you don't trust and like you've just had a fight with your boyfriend and you have to work the next day and you're nervous anyways like and you've been diagnosed bipolar like there's so many reasons why I should not have taken these mushrooms however I am so fucking grateful that I took these mushrooms and no I'm not trying to tell you whether or not you should take mushrooms and I'm not trying to say if you take mushrooms that you're going to cure yourself of your mental health issues or that you're going to become enlightened that's not what I'm saying do your own research figure things out for yourself this is just my experience but I took these mushrooms and oh my god uh that was a life-altering experience like literally do not know who I would be without these mushrooms so he knows that I'm nervous so he just gives me like I think like like just some tiny amount to start and you know we get into this fight and then we resolve the fight and then we start going on a walk um now we walk for a really long time we get an ice cream that's an awesome thing to eat when you're about to come up on mushrooms not Um, We get an ice cream and, uh, you know, it's been like an hour, maybe two hours. And uh, him and his friend, uh, the girl wasn't with us anymore, but the guy was still with us. They just decide basically that the mushrooms are not working, that they're duds, like, and they decide they're going to eat a bunch more. So... They eat more, and they ask me if I want more, too. And, like, I really don't want to be excluded. And also, at this point, I'm feeling kind of underwhelmed because, like... Okay, so, like, at this point, I haven't gone and studied psychology yet. I've never studied biopsych, so I don't understand the different ways... Like, I don't understand that marijuana, if you smoke it, is going to come on quicker than if you eat it. And I don't understand that mushrooms 
are going to come on a lot slower than something like alcohol or marijuana. Like I don't understand, like it's very obvious in hindsight, but I just didn't have that knowledge that like it has to get broken down in the digestive system, go through the bloodstream and like cross the blood brain barrier. I did not understand that. So I thought, oh yeah, I guess they are duds. And at this point I wasn't even anxious anymore because I literally just thought they weren't working. So I thought, okay, I'll take more too. So we eat the rest of the mushrooms and um, it's hard to say how much I ate because uh, like I just, I wouldn't, like it's because first off, this is like eight years ago now and second off, like it's just, it's hard to say because I I didn't have like a measuring scale or not a measuring scale, a weight, a weighing scale. What, what is the word? I can't think of the word, you know, a scale. I didn't have... Um, a scale to like weigh these mushrooms on and figure out how much I was taking. But when I think about it in hindsight, I think it was probably about 10 grams. So like a shaman or hero dose. And this is my first trip. (laughs) Ah, so that adds another reason as to why this mushroom trip was so traumatic because I ate way too many fucking mushrooms. (laughs) So um, I have this, uh, like, like I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm not feeling any fear anymore. So I eat 10 grams of mushrooms thinking they're not going to do anything. Well, what happens? About 20 minutes later, I start tripping. I start tripping balls. And then... um, (laughs) And then at first, the trip is a really nice experience because... This mushroom trip was like, it was like coming back to myself. It was like being reborn. Um, It's so hard to describe and put into words because I just feel like words don't do it justice. It was like being a kid for the first time again and just see, sorry, it was like being a kid and seeing the world for the first time again. Like, I just remember like walking through this park and walking by the ocean and like just feeling so connected with nature and so connected with everything around me and so at peace with things and like I would see the ocean and just love the ocean and I would see the trees and just love the trees and then I would see like an ugly house and like that judgment would be gone like I wouldn't think it was like I wouldn't love it the way I love the ocean and the trees but I would also just have this sense of peace for it. And I would still feel like it was so beautiful, even though it was ugly. Like it's so hard to explain, but it was just like these mushrooms, like they just gave me this blast of enlightenment. Like that's so funny. The further I go down my enlightenment journey, the closer I feel to that period of the trip where everything was just so euphoric and blissful and peaceful and like I just felt one with everything and even though I even though I thought the ugly house was not as beautiful as the tree I still just saw it all as so beautiful and I still just loved it all anyways <laughs> the further I go down my enlightenment journey the closer I get to that just being the way I am. I mean, I'm nowhere near there yet, but I have experienced this without drugs and it's a really good feeling. But this is my first time experiencing this uh, either at all or at least for the first time in a long time because, you know, 
you have to remember up until this trip, I was depressed and I was struggling with all these mental health issues and I had this fragile ego and I did not feel connected to nature. I did not feel connected to really much of anything. I had felt really connected with music, but that was gone, right? Like that was, I was losing my passion for it and that was so painful for me. And these mushrooms just basically gave me a taste of how it felt to be so passionate and so loving and so blissful and to just love life. And I remembered that feeling from when I was younger, when I was a child, just being so in love and so infatuated with and so taken, like taken by the universe and taken by life. And these mushrooms were giving me that feeling again, but like instantly. And it was very intense. It was very, very intense, but it was very beautiful. And I'm so grateful for that experience because it just showed me what potential was there, what potential was there for my consciousness. But, you know, the trip, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger because as I keep going, more and more of the mushrooms that I eat, that I, that I had eaten were kicking in, right? So um, I... Uh, Eventually it gets a little bit too intense for me and I have an extremely, extremely traumatic experience on these shrooms. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about it here just because it's going to be too long, too much. It's going to detract from the point of the video. Um, But I had a bad trip. I had a bad trip that caused me a lot of trauma and a lot of pain. But also this bad trip really helped me. Um, in the long run. So I have this terrifying mushroom trip. Like, I am, am going to do an episode on this trip, but words cannot do the, the, the like, the, the amount of terror and horror and like, just, like, pure fear that I experienced on these mushrooms. Like, I don't even know if words can describe it. Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, if you... If you've never had a a bad experience on a psychedelic, I don't really know if I can really do it justice to you. It was not what I expected a bad trip to be like at all. You know, it was just terrifying, like nothing I ever experienced before. Uh, Really, like in essence, and I will do an episode on this, but in essence, what this part of the trip was is it was my ego coming off because you know like I had started the trip off blissfully and I was connected with like the universe and myself in a way that I never had been before and now I was going into the trip uh like I was getting deeper and deeper and it was starting to get scary right because more and more of the layers of my ego were being pulled off and I didn't like it The thing is, is most of the time we don't really like the experience of an ego death. At the very least, our ego doesn't like it. So at this point in the trip, my ego was coming in and it was saying, no, 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 no. And the more you fight something like that, the worse it gets. You have to really be able to surrender to the ego death um, for it to be not traumatic and if you are like intentionally trying to have an ego death, then maybe that's one thing. 
Uh, but if you just kind of have one thrust upon you because you've taken these mushrooms and you don't realize that mushrooms are not a party drug, then that's going to be very, very traumatic for you, right? So that's what happened for me is I took the mushrooms because I thought we were going to have a big fucking party. And then I was like, oh my God, this is like taking like God's medicine. And that's really what mushrooms are, in my opinion. Psychedelics are pathways to God, they're pathways to enlightenment, you know, they're not for the faint of heart. So my ego's fighting back and I just have this terrible trip and I will go into detail about it in another episode. Um, But basically the trip ends and do I immediately feel better and cured? No, I immediately feel traumatized I feel terrible. <laughs> if my mental health was bad before the trip, my mental health was bad after. Like, like it was so much worse after. Like, oh my God. Like, you thought you had depression? Oh, here's some depression. That's kind of what it was like. Because I was so depressed before the mushrooms. But, oh my God. Like, after the mushrooms, my depression just took on a whole new form. So... I stay in that relationship for a while. I'm actually living with this person. Um, I think we took the mushrooms, like, I think we took them the day that I moved out of my parents' house, which, again, adds another reason as to why that trip was just bound to go horribly. Um, But anyway, um, I stay with that person for a while, become very depressed, very withdrawn, just like this empty shell of a human. And then I decide uh, I... Like my higher self kicks in and I'm like, I want better. I want different. I don't want this for my life. I don't want to basically be this empty shell that's going to shove out a baby so this person can call themselves a father because that's what they wanted. And really like, I don't want kids. I've never wanted kids. I definitely didn't want kids then. And I really don't want kids now. Like I just don't want kids. So that was kind of a big motivating factor for me to get out and something that kind of kickstarted my higher self into action. So I find the strength to get out of the relationship. There'll probably be an episode on that as well. Um, I come back to my parents' house. Um, I, um, like, I'm trying to do better. For a while, I, I do do better because I'm, I'm going into my first year of college now. Um, and I'm excited about that. And I just try to just try to stay positive and do better. Um, and then my first year of college starts and I'm super stressed and I just like, I just can't keep things together, especially with the trauma from this mushroom trip and the trauma from the relationship in general. Cause that guy was super abusive. Um, and, uh, I just lose it. I just lose it. I have like the biggest mental breakdown I've had in my entire life. And, Of course, um, before that even happens, I got myself into another relationship, which maybe it was a better relationship. I mean, the guy was less outwardly abusive. He was more mentally abusive, this second guy that I got with. Uh, So the relationship lasted a lot longer because he had the ability to gaslight me and hide how abusive he was. 
Um, so I stayed in, I stayed with him for five years, whereas I only stayed with the other guy, the mushroom guy for a few months. Um, so in a way it was a better relationship in a way it was a worse relationship, but I was already in a relationship with this guy and I had this huge mental breakdown and he asks me to go get help. Um, so yeah, this was in a way quite a bit better of a relationship because he did support, uh, me not having mental health issues, whereas the other guy didn't really give a shit. Um, and so because I don't want this new guy to leave me because I'm so codependent and scared, I go and get help. Uh, I go back to, I don't go to psychiatry, but I go back to therapy and I go back to just the mental health recovery world in general. Um, I get enrolled for group therapy for my eating disorder because I also had an eating disorder all through this time. So that's another little fun dynamic to throw into the mix. Um, and uh, I just start doing better. Now, <clears throat> about eight months to a year. Let, okay, so... For the first like year after tripping shrooms, I was terrified. I was still just traumatized. But like about eight months after, I start flirting with the idea of spirituality. And this is a huge deal for me because up until this point, I've always been an atheist. I've always been very like... Uh, sure that there's no God, there's no spiritual realm, nothing like that. And now I'm in my first year of college. I've just, just finishing my first year of college. I've been introduced to all these new ideas like feminism and sociology and all these things. And I start to think, hmm, maybe like there is, maybe there's a reason why somebody would want religion, or maybe there's a reason why somebody would want to be spiritual. Maybe I shouldn't judge people who are into astrology. Like maybe I should try getting into that myself. So I start dabbling with spirituality and I start tuning into a mode of being or a vibration, if you will, that is not unlike that state of consciousness that I found in the beginning of the mushroom trip where, you know, you just feel connected with everything. I start working on my connection to nature and I start praying to these very like natural forces of life. Like I mentioned that I'm a pagan. I am a pagan. Now I don't take my religion super seriously. Um, I don't believe there is literally a God and a goddess, but I believe in masculine and feminine energy. And in my religion, the sun represents masculine energy and the moon represents feminine energy. Um, so I was praying to the moon and I was praying to the sun and I was learning about my astrological chart and I was, you know what I mean? I was doing all these fun, new agey, witchy things. So I started to tap into spirituality. Um, and I keep working on my spirituality for the next, um, well, I mean, I, I've been working on it ever since. But, you know, for the next uh, four or five years or so, spirituality becomes a part of my life. 
But it's still very much like my life is like, okay, I go to school, I go to work, I go to my relationship, I go to my friends, I do my hobby, and then I have spirituality. Like, it's like all like different slices of a pie. It's not... There's no, like the spirituality never touches the relationship. It never touches the friends. It never touches the work. It never touches the school. The very notion that it would is still very frightening to me because I'm still very stuck in like that science-y, logical, rational way of thinking. So I'm spiritual, but I almost like apologize for being spiritual because I don't take it too seriously. I don't believe it is real. Like it's more something I do to manage my mental health, which is, you know, like I think I mentioned this at the beginning of this episode here. I think for some people, they don't need to pursue a full enlightenment. Like they can just practice, they can just practice some Wicca. once a week and that will help them manage their mental health and that you know that little teeny tiny like crumb of enlightenment will help them and that's kind of where I was at here but my hunger for that crumb it turned into a hunger for like a bite which turned into hunger for half the enlightenment cookie which turned into hunger for full enlightenment so that happens over the course of the next four or five years so my priorities are still really focused on like realizing like very real material things like money, a career, an education, etc, etc, etc. And I kind of use spirituality as more like something on the back burner that you have. But I also have these periods sometimes where I forget about this desire for success and this desire for status and I just focus on my spirituality. And in these periods I feel the most fulfilled. So as the time goes on, I start to feel more and more conflicted because this hunger for enlightenment is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And my desire and interest to focus on things like money, fame, status, a career is getting smaller and smaller. But my ego doesn't like that it's getting smaller and smaller. So, you know, I kind of flip-flop. Sometimes I want to be really successful and that's all I care about. And then other times I want to be really spiritual and that's all I care about. And it's hard for me to envision a future where I can do both. Sometimes I envision that future, but one thing always takes the cake over the other. And it's, it's hard to balance. It's a very hard balancing act. So that goes on, and uh, then I, uh, I'm in this relationship through all that time. Um, so this relationship lasts five years. At the very, very end of the relationship, my partner cheats on me. And that's how the relationship ends. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, I wish I had broken up with him right after he told me he cheated on me, but, uh, I didn't. I stayed with him for like another month or so, but that is in essence why I break up with him because he's found some other girl that I know that he'd rather be with than me. And, uh, we're both too scared to end the relationship, but eventually I just end it. 
Um, and that's a whole story in and of itself. Again, probably for another episode. Um, but in this time, um, when I, when I lost this boyfriend, I didn't just lose a boyfriend. Um, we were playing in a band together cause I had taken up music again. And, uh, so I lost my boyfriend. I lost my bandmate. I lost my life partner. I lost the person I was building a future with. I lost my family. Cause this person had also very strategically alienated me from my family. And so I really just lost a sense of self and like my life when I lost this person. And it was a lot to recover from and heal from. And I'm still doing that work actually. And it was a lot to... um just make sense of on a logical level, on an emotional level, and just on an intuitive level. Like it was just a lot. Um, so in those very, very early days of the breakup, I, uh, I felt very confused because I didn't really have my music anymore. And I, I knew deep down, I just, I didn't feel very passionate about music and I had kind of rebuilt that passion with this person. But this heartbreak kind of was the last straw, just kind of ruined that for me. Um, and, you know, so I had two other things I could lean on. I mean, other than my friends and family, of course. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for helping me. Um, but, uh, like, you know, things that were mine. I had two other things I could lean on. I had my writing. Um, because if you don't know, you probably do know if you're listening to this, but if you don't know, I am a fantasy and science fiction writer. And one of my big goals in life is to go full time with the publishing of my books. So that's something that I've been chipping away at for almost two years now. I mean, for longer, but consistently for almost two years. So I have that to lean on and I, I lean on that, but also my spirituality. In that time, my spirituality became probably the most important thing in my life. And I realized that I wanted to pursue enlightenment. Up until this point, any enlightenment I had 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 probably occurred just by chance, like the mushroom trip. And I realized at 26 years old that enlightenment was actually the most important thing to me or the most important thing along with my writing. So probably one of the top three, top two most important things and that I should be pursuing it. So I start actively pursuing it. I start reading about enlightenment. I start watching YouTube videos about enlightenment. Uh, I, start, I start meditating, meditated on and off. The practice has not been consistent for the last two years. I've, um, I've recently gotten back onto my meditation practice um, but I've fallen on and on. I, I've fallen in and out of that practice. Um, but I do think it's one of the most important practices uh, 
for enlightenment and in general. Um, I start practicing yoga. I take my tarot card practice to the next level. I go deeper with astrology. Like I just start utilizing every tool to pursue enlightenment. Um, and I realize that like where I want to be is, and, and this gets to the big question of what is enlightenment. So where do I want to be? I want to be someone that doesn't need a boat and a mansion and a yacht and the perfect partner and the perfect this and that to be happy and to radiate love. I want to be like I was at the beginning of that mushroom trip as my default, as my baseline. I want the veils of consciousness to be lifted. And I, I want to always be in the process of lifting those veils and becoming more enlightened because I don't believe that this is something you do and then it's done and then you move on to the next thing. I believe that it's more of a practice than it is something you ever truly achieve, um, which is a bit meta and trippy to think about. But, you know, so when I say that, it's hard to describe what a fully enlightened person would look like. I don't know if they'd even exist. Maybe they do. I don't want to create any limiting beliefs here, but it's hard to really describe it. I have a lot of different maps and tools and systems and theories I can use to help me with my enlightenment. One of them is thinking, okay, I want to be the way I was at the beginning of that mushroom trip as my baseline. That is an amazing benchmark to like it's an amazing vision to have I also use spiral dynamics I don't know if you're familiar um, as I said this is not going to be an educational podcast so you will have to go and educate yourself elsewhere but spiral dynamics that is another system I use to help me enlighten myself um, right now I'm at about stage yellow. I just came out of stage green and I'm in stage yellow and I, I'm working through yellow and I'm also working with the parts of the spiral that maybe I have shadows in so I can really solidify my yellow and move on to turquoise. But do I believe that spiral dynamic stage turquoise, the highest stage, do I believe that that is where personal development caps out? No, it's just, a, it's just a tool, it's just a theory, it's just a map, it's not the actual territory. There's lots of uh, ego development models and enlightenment models and tools I can use to help me define enlightenment and decide what it is and create a vision for what that looks like. But ideally, eventually, I will have no model. I will just be. I will just be enlightened. It will be so ingrained into me, these practices like the meditation and the uh, self-inquiry, the yoga. Like It will just be something I do. I won't need to use these models to help me get there. 
But right now I use models because I need them. Because I, I can see how before I got educated in school and before I had the mushroom trip, I can see how I was at spiral dynamic stage orange, which is like the atheist, materialist, individualist stage. And then I can see how when I kind of had my like Wicca religion on the weekends and I was studying, you know, social sciences throughout the weekdays, how I was in stage green and I can see how now I'm in stage yellow. Like the model is helpful, but again, it's hard to actually use the model as a definition for what enlightenment is. I feel like, you know, these past eight years or so, they have been about enlightenment. And yet only this year, I feel like I've really gotten a firm understanding of what enlightenment actually is. But even then, I'm not, I don't want to say this is what enlightenment is because I could be wrong and I don't want to delude myself and go down the wrong path. Like, I don't want to get so obsessed with spiral dynamics that it just becomes this big mental masturbation exercise and I don't just use it as a tool. Like, it's just a tool. Really, for me, you know, being enlightened, it's almost like being a writer. Like, when I say I'm a writer, I have books I want to publish. I have books I want to write and publish and sell. I have benchmarks I want to meet. So one benchmark is finishing my first book. Another benchmark is getting a book deal. Another benchmark is getting it published, like having it actually out there. Another benchmark is selling enough copies to quit my job. Another benchmark is doing the next book. Another benchmark is being able to buy a house. Like I have benchmarks I want to hit, but at the same time, those benchmarks are not what it means to be a writer. What it means to be a writer is that every day, more or less, I write. That I'm always working on my craft. That I'm always spending time in my genre, which is fantasy and sci-fi. I'm reading, I'm watching movies, I'm playing video games, I'm thinking about the stories in those books and movies and video games, and I'm allowing them to inspire me and help guide me as I figure out what kind of writer I want to be. It's about the practice of doing it. I'm grounded in the practice. That's why I view enlightenment too. I don't see enlightenment as a place I'm going to get to. It's a daily practice. It's a principle. So for me, enlightenment is meditation. It's the daily practice of meditating every morning, whether I feel like it or not, whether I feel like I have time or don't. It's building that yoga practice. It's drawing tarot cards. It's doing self-inquiry. It's taking time to record all my thoughts so I can really make sense of where I'm at in my journey. And yes, as I go about these practices, as I write more, I'm going to be more likely to become a full-time author because I'm doing the thing. So I am going to be more likely to hit that benchmark. But the rewards don't come in being a full-time author. They come from the practice itself because I'm intrinsically motivated. And that's like enlightenment too. The rewards won't come from hitting spiral dynamic stage turquoise. The rewards will come from the practices I do that get me there. 
It's a very tricky concept to wrap my head around, but really it is about the journey uh, and not the destination. And I know that sounds so hokey and so cheesy, but it's true. It's so true. Now, that kind of leads me to another point about this is that something I found with enlightenment is that you can know something logically, you can know something intellectually, but that's not the same as knowing it emotionally or knowing it intuitively, knowing it in your gut. Like, like you can know something, but like, do you truly understand it on like a level in which you actually embody it or you actually want to embody it or at least trust embodying it? And oftentimes I find that as I go about the enlightenment journey, like I think that it's going to be these big, like crazy, like realizations, like, wow, like this is the meaning of life or this is this answer or this is that answer. Like amazing. Like I think I'm going to come up with these amazing like answers that are just so interesting, but oftentimes it is the most simple explanations and they're explanations that I've actually heard or known logically for a very, very, very long time. Things like I just said, like it being about the destination, or sorry, it being about the journey and not the destination. Like that is something that, you know, I've heard it in books and movies and like, you know, like Yoda probably said that to me once in Star Wars, you know what I mean? So like, that's something that we've all heard before, but do we all actually know that? in our core, in our gut? Do we all actually trust that? I didn't trust that until this year. I didn't trust that until very, very, very recently. I had flirted with the idea of trusting it, but now I know it and I trust it. Whereas before, I would have written that off as some sort of hippy-dippy bullshit, And then maybe I would have entertained it intellectually. And then I would have gone, okay, yeah, that's true. But I would have continued going on focusing on the destination. And then I would have started flirting with actually embodying it. And very, very recently, I have realized that it is about the journey, not the destination. It is about the daily practices, not about getting anywhere. And only recently have I fully been able to trust that. So... A lot of becoming enlightened is like realizing that a lot of these hokey little sayings and phrases and ideas, there's actually a lot of merit to them. There's a lot of truth to them. Oftentimes they are truth. And uh, it's really just about being able to not just know them, but like trust them on like a deep, intuitive core level embody them. That is like really what a lot of this enlightenment work is about. And it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of practice and it's really hard. And there's a lot of stuff that's going into my personal development journey, into my enlightenment journey. Like therapy has been a part of it. Recovering from my eating disorder has been a part of it. Um, recovering from borderline personality disorder was a part of it. Um, studying the principles was a part of it. 
Having an open mind is a part of it. Healing trauma is a part of it. Getting my meditation practice is a part of it. There's so so many aspects to it, and it's going to look different from person to person. And really, I think, like, what this work, like, relies on is having a radically open mind and being willing to kind of experiment, like, figure out what is and isn't true and being very willing to be wrong and being very comfortable getting uncomfortable, like... And, and re- like really going through the highs and the lows of figuring all this out. That, to me, is what this work really... Like that's the foundation of this work. Because it's one thing to know things and be knowledgeable. And it's another thing to like really try to embody what it is you're learning. And um, that's really the journey that I've been on. Like, Do I want to be somebody that focuses on the destination? Or do I want to focus on the journey? Is there a balance somewhere in between? Like, what is, uh, what is, what's, what's going to give me the most fulfillment? What's going to be the best expression of who I am? What, like, just figuring this out. And, like, really, it's acknowledging that I don't know shit. I don't know much of anything. Uh, I can't even comprehend how much I don't know. But every now and again, I get this little grain of truth, this little grain of enlightenment that I get to carry with me. Just every now and again. It doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, this enlightenment journey is just me being confused not really knowing where I'm going or what I'm doing, having a lot of thoughts and meditation. But every now and again, I go, hmm, I understand now. Or I go, okay, I think I want to head this way now. Or, oh, I got to course correct a little bit. Or I have a meditation that goes really, really deep. Or I feel like I am one with everything. Like I really feel that ego soften or disappear completely for like a brief period of time. So I know the further I go down this path, the more fulfillment and love and wisdom I'm going to pull out of it. But saying that I'm on an enlightenment journey, it's not about being... Like it's, it's not about being enlightened. It's not about being wise. It's not about being knowledgeable. It's not about, it's not about anything like that. It's not me claiming that I'm better than anybody or that I know more than anybody. It's really me going, I don't know. I don't know. Well, what about this idea? It feels wrong to me, but like, I don't know if it's right or wrong. So let's experiment with it. Let's try this out. And really, like, this is a very important journey for me, just intrinsically, but also in my writing. I incorporate a lot of the stuff that I learn and that I think about and that I realize into my writing. I really like art that makes you think and art that sort of 
enlightens you or attempts to enlighten you or at least asks the questions. Like, my favorite movie is Blade Runner. And Blade Runner is really asking, what is it meant to be, or what does it mean to be human? Can we synthesize human consciousness? Now, if you had asked me that question before I watched Blade Runner, I would have said, hell no, robots will never be the same as humans. There's just something special about being human. After watching Blade Runner, I would have been like, oh my God, we can synthesize human consciousness. So I really believe in the power of art and movies and stories and writing and just things that humans create to expand consciousness. And that is what I want to do through my stories which is why this enlightenment path is so important to me because it really fuels the writing I do. And my writing is really, it's essentially the, uh, the medium I use to express the truth and the enlightenment and the wisdom and the love that I've found in this path. So I don't really know if I answered the question, what is enlightenment? I've just kind of given you a big picture overview of what my journey has been like and where I'm at now. Um, If you are someone who is also on a similar path, I'd love to know what you think of all this. I'd love to read your comments, hear your thoughts, or read your thoughts, I suppose. And if you're not on an enlightenment path, I don't know how the hell you just sat through 90 minutes of me talking about enlightenment. (laughs) If you're not, good for you. Um, But this is going to be it for this episode. I don't know what I'll talk about in the next one. It was very therapeutic for me to talk about all this. So thank you for giving me that space. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in the next one.